Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hey, this is Doug Jones. You might know me as the Silver Surfer or Abe Sapien from the Hellboy movies or Billy Butcherson from Hocus Pocus. But right now, you're listening to the Candare Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candair, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. And joining us today, I'm super excited about this episode. Uh, met a couple of guys at a convention, Whorehound Weekend, here in Columbus, Ohio. And boy, were they some of the flashiest dudes I've ever seen <laughs> at a convention. I mean, you couldn't help but stop and stare at them. We welcome Dorian Weinzimmer and Brant McRae of the movie Chicago Rot. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having us. We're excited to be here. We're going to have a good time this week in our retro roundtable. Uh, Jake, you kind of came up with this topic. Maybe it's best uh, you describe it. Yeah, I was thinking since the setting of this movie is so specific, this is very much anchored in Chicago, let's talk places that are frequently beset by, like, catastrophes or weird supernatural problems, cities that get destroyed, landmarks that get obliterated. Just kind of made sense. I like it. I like it. I thought I was going to have trouble with this topic, but uh, when I started writing them down, boy, they just kept flowing out. Yeah, once so. it starts going. <laughs> yeah. Then in our uh, comic vault, we're going to talk about a few different comics we found. Jake, what have we got? I have got The Meta Barons by Yodorowsky and Jimenez, and it is the 90s thing, 90s-ist thing I have ever read in my life. And that's fine by me. I love the 90s. Oh. What about you, Jack? Dinosaur Comics. Gonna color in them too. (laughs) (laughs) Few the things, the big red dog. (laughs) (laughs) Few the things we'll be talking about there, and then we're gonna turn our full attention over to Dorian and Brant and talk about Chicago rot. So let's kick it off. Oh wait, Jake. Well, before we kick it off, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you to check us out on all of our social networking outlets. That's Twitter at CandarePod. Instagram at canned underscore air. Also, we are on Patreon. So if you've got a buck a month to spare, it is much appreciated. And trust me, it goes way further than you might think. That it does. And if you uh, donate a little bit more than a dollar, you get uh, monthly content that you can only get on the Patreon page. So incentive for giving us some of your change. <laughs> um, I think that's going to do it, though. So let's just kick it off with this week's Retro Round Table. Do it. Do it! Come on! I'm here! Come on! Do it now! Come on, guys! It's your city! Grass! Taste bad! All right, guys. Places, cities, or places that have been destroyed in cinema. Uh, let's start with our guest, Dorian or Brandt. Uh, what comes to mind? 
well, I mean, in you know, it's a it's a horribly unimaginative answer given uh, you know the the film that we're representing and uh, where we're at. <laughs> but uh, Chicago has become something, uh, at least recently, of a uh, you know a flavor in the Hollywood destructive category. Um, given, I mean, the, you know, Michael Bay came here and he apparent with the Transformers movies, and I guess he liked destroying Chicago so much he was like, let's make it China also. Um, a lot of the scenes that took place in China in one of those Transformers movies were shot here in Chicago. So <laughs> makes perfect um, sense. Why yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, they're they're <laughs> practically the same thing. I mean, um, but uh, and of course, you know, um, uh, it's also been something of a stand-in for other places that need to be destroyed lately, which is interesting to me. Like the you know the first two Chris Nolan Batman movies. Um, not necessarily full-scale destruction, but he shot Chicago for Gotham and, you know, did a fair amount of damage to it. Oh, wow. And, uh, no and then even Zack Snyder with Man of Steel was like, oh, this will be our metropolis that we, you know, oh, destroyed. Oh, man, we'll talk about a city that was oh, yeah. laid to waste. Fuck. What about yeah. uh, Jupiter Ascending? A lot of damage, both literal and figurative. I would say. <laughs> a lot of moral damage. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and to anyone who has who has seen that that delightful uh, piece of trash, um, it is actually uh, pronounced Jupiter ascending. Oh my bad. Uh, yes. <laughs> Very. <important. laughs> you wouldn't want to disrespect the franchise. No. Oh God, no. How many times okay. have you seen it, Dorian? Let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> that good. It's it's one of my I don't know favorite you know so bad it's good movies of recent years. It seemed like for a long time it was. You know, in the 80s and 90s, we had a lot of wonderful So Bad It's Good movies. And then as CGI came in, everything was just so bad it was horrible. Yeah. And now we've come out on the other side of this crest with like these just big budget, you know, disasters that are just actually disasters. And uh, we've sort of reclaimed some of that enjoyment. And uh, Jupiter Ascending was one of the first movies I've watched in the past few years that I was like, wow, that was actually really fun. How horrible it was. Not just depressing. I need to see that. So, I've never seen it. I guess oh, that takes some God. kind of skill. I don't know. <laughs> I was all about seeing it until it came out, and I never heard nothing about it, and it just kind of fell by the wayside. Well, you should see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking. I remember God of Egypt, because that's my favorite <laughs> horrible movie. God of Egypt? You know? Is that what you said? Yeah. I don't think I've seen that either. It's worth it. <laughs> it's, uh, On yeah. a certain level. <laughs> I've got a movie uh, that always comes to mind like so bad it's good but it's not bad in like the cool way you guys are talking about if I was to bring it up you'd be like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> but um, uh, I guess I have to now don't I last yeah. action hero come on oh yeah that's a delightful piece of trash yeah yeah <laughs> I'm one of those weirdly can... enduring pieces of trash too I can see yeah. Brant's uh, face through the camera, and I totally got the what-the-fuck look off of him. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Actually, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll defend it a little bit. That smiley face eye thing that the guy had, like, creeped me the heck out when yeah. I was a kid. Well, I mean, I wasn't really a kid, I guess. I was a teenager when that came out or whatever. I think I was probably an older teenager. <laughs> <laughs> no, that movie I thought there was were some fun. redeeming parts of it. Yeah, that eye. Another thing about that eye too is that uh, it could also be a bomb. Remember, you could take it out and like twist it and it turn into an explosive. Yeah, I don't remember oh, damn, that one. <laughs> <laughs> the only things that stick out to me about that movie, from my memory of it, are the Humphrey Bogart hologram and the. Uh, there's a part where Arnold Schwarzenegger says the word "farted," 
And <laughs> hearing him in his accent, I was like, wow, he never has said fart in another movie as far as I, I don't know. remember really, that. It's comical. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Probably one of the most enunciated times anyone ever said fart it. <laughs> oh, there's so many one-liners from that movie. Yeah, so many. But before we get but on I, I yet another completely off topic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all. That's on me. I always get us on last action hero rants. Uh, but going back to the topic at hand, let's uh, go over to Jack. What do you got? Keene, New Hampshire. What? <laughs> this is a yeah. very. This is a. Detail. I think I'm with <laughs> uh, Jeremy on this one. <laughs> from uh, Jumanji. Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> The whole town got overgrown into a jungle and taken over by a bunch of rhinoceroses and rhinoceri. Uh, it's yes, rhinoceros soy. <laughs> I'm sorry. So are you talking uh, Robin Williams or Rock Jumanji? No, the Robin Williams. Because the other one takes place in a video game uh, that wasn't that good, I guess. <laughs> so I've heard. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I have I, a hard time imagining some alternate reality where that movie is worth watching. Yeah, yeah. I'm an ass. Uh, it just crushed the box offices, though. And for some Star reason, Star Wars yeah. and everything in, in Japan or whatever. Yeah, it did. It really did. I don't get that. I really don't well, get financial that. Financial success has never been a good indicator of quality. So <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah. It's a good indicator of curiosity. Yes. Ah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yep. that's a good way to put it. And uh, and since you mentioned The Rock, I, I will also mention that uh, this upcoming summer, The Rock will be destroying Chicago with the help of a giant ape in the Rampage movie. Oh, oh man, I yeah. forgot about that. That's Another right. Chicago destruction film. <laughs> you guys must be proud. Yeah, I, yeah, someone here is proud, I'm sure. <laughs> they rebuild it every time. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you do it Budget. quickly, oh. too. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, it's the exact same specs. I mean, we just crank them out. <laughs> just have that on the sign driving in. Well, welcome to Chicago, America's favorite city to flatten. <laughs> You'll probably witness its destruction while you're here. <laughs> yeah. right. Hope you bought insurance. <laughs> Jake, what about you? I'm my personal favorite, and not only because I have an irrational hatred of the French, but because it shows up in almost every movie, is Paris. <laughs> Paris gets obliterated in every movie with an alien invasion, a rogue monstrosity, a natural disaster. They always have to have that shot of the Eiffel Tower toppling. Yeah, yep. Oh, yeah. As though it's the most important structure on Earth. And you know what? That's fine, because I'm pretty sure they still have it coming. <laughs> but i just love it i don't I, as soon as you pitch a disaster movie to somebody they're like okay yeah that's great you know you know you got a male and a female character love interest when and where do they destroy paris it's yeah. like they've got to corner that paris destruction market to make the budget back on any movie i don't get it i'm totally fine with it though well yeah I'm I'm sorry, go ahead. I met it similar to like casting Will Smith, you know, like 10 years ago where it was like you were guaranteed like $30 million on your budget if you cast Will Smith. Now it's like, well, if you if you promise you're going to destroy Paris, we'll give you another like 15 mil just to make sure that happens because we'll it's make just it like back. making a withdrawal from an account. It's you're not taking any risks. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Will Smith, and uh, that's one of, that's on my list here. If uh, I am Legend, when New York was overrun by vampires, oh New York, yeah, Manhattan, yep. yeah, and then uh, who could forget the Avengers? You know, when they fucked up Manhattan, oh. and then who could forget in Watchmen when Doctor Manhattan decided oh, man. to blow the fuck up out of Manhattan? <laughs> that's I mean, right. Manhattan, 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 Manhattan. 
I'm sorry, I don't follow. <laughs> How many times There's do we have to see New York get blown up? At least one more. Didn't Times yeah. Square get blown up in like uh, the Fourth of July or something like that? Escape from New York, where it was already like a waste. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So awesome. Independence God damn, Day. I love that. There you go. Yep. Well, and, and speaking of Independence Day, my 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 backup suggestion for this was just the White House itself. Oh, um, sure. Oh, shit, mostly, yeah. of course, due to Roland Emmerich's film career, where I'm pretty <laughs> sure he reverse engineers every film concept he wants from how the White House will be destroyed in the movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's his square one. Yeah, exactly. I, I yeah, I was actually a little bummed out when Olympus Has Fallen beat him to market because I was like, he's been announcing his intention to make an entire movie about destroying the White House for 15 <laughs> years. And then you're going to go ahead and just show up like three months before he can put out White House down. Like, that's kind of a dick move. What a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd like cast my lot in with Roland Emmerich, but I kind of feel bad for the guy. It's same here. Put it, it that good. way. It was a depressing realization for me. <laughs> I guess we are back around to uh, Dorian and Brand. Do you guys have any other offerings to this uh, category? I think we covered our bases. You know, we, we represent Chicago pretty well as much as we can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Between Chicago and the White House, I feel pretty confident that, uh, yeah, we've, we've covered a large berth of movies that have involved yeah. large-scale destruction. So. What about I you? would almost say a majority of movies with large-scale destruction has one or both of those. It's yes. just one of those things. <laughs> Uh, Jake, Jack, anything else? No, I was going to say New York, but you beat me to it. Wow. Yeah, I had to get it out of there. There's uh, California, but who really cares anymore? Yes. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> They're doomed anyway. No. Um, London. London? Yeah, just just being like the cultural center of England, also the epicenter of however many disasters and zombie outbreaks and this and that and the other. Mm. It's it's got that big city syndrome where it's like such a huge important part of the world that we have to see it leveled every couple of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, you want to talk about a city that went beyond being leveled and just fucking obliterated? Jeddah in Rogue Rogue One. Oh man, <laughs> I mean that was a half the planet was a fucking crater where that used to the be. The evidence is gone. <laughs> so bad that you never heard from it after. Uh, Rogue One, you never heard of yeah, that Yeah, no artifacts will be found uh, from that civilization. Damn, yeah, I forgot to, I completely forgot to consider fictional locations. So, I, I mean, I guess <laughs> going with the Star Wars theme, we got to go throw Alderaan in there. Like, that. Oh, oh yeah. Like, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It was introduced and then blown out of the universe. That, that Pete's Jetta, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, um, one other I had on my list here. The world in general in the Terminator movies. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that one the whole time. Just gets laid waste. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, well, and they keep, like, reviving it. They, like, they stop Judgment Day, and they're like, no, no, you can't actually stop Judgment Day. It will happen again. So it gets destroyed. They send someone back to stop it, but then it happens again anyway. So it's like, how many times they've destroyed the world in just that one franchise is actually kind of commendable. <laughs> Yeah, well, didn't the yeah the last one just uh, rebooted the whole series or started a new timeline or something, right? Didn't see I it. Believe so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you didn't. That was a good decision. Yeah, I think I think I was too drunk during it to remember it. <laughs> yeah, I don't even uh, remember when it happened. I enjoyed the, uh, the Genesis a lot more than I did uh, Terminator Three and the one with Christian Bale. It was much better than those two. Oh, uh, Salvation was it? Yeah, think, that yeah. was it. That was it. 
That movie just fucked up because it became like a post-apocalypse movie, just, you know, just survival kind of movie where the heart of the Terminator films is kind of like the uh, Jason Voorhees element where it's just that killer that's constantly after yeah, you that won't stop. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that we- the one with the kid from Bully in it? That was three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, oh, Nick yeah. Stahl, I think is yeah. his name. Yeah. And who uh, else? Claire Stahl, Danes yeah. was in that, too. Dude, Not a great I, I don't film. know. I didn't think Salvation was terrible. It just kind of like totally did away with the concept of radiation. Like Christian Bale is in the vicinity of at least two different nuclear explosions and just shakes it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's great. You blew up their base. Now you've got super cancer. Super cancer. Wow. Doesn't settle in he's, for a while though. Yeah, yeah no. he's, he's got time. <laughs> no, he's like subtle killer. Yeah, no, he's like I've seen I've seen Broken Arrow. There's butterflies, so we're okay. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, I, I, it's funny you mentioned the the whole you know idea of just kind of missing the mark with Terminator Salvation. Like you know they lost the the thread of what actually made these stories interesting because I I just happened to rewatch the um, the first three Hellraiser movies a couple weeks ago. Oh. And dear, dear three is like, it, you know, it was, I, I had memories of how bad three was, yeah. but I hadn't watched it in a long time. And it's like the last half hour of that is like a masterclass in like how to destroy your franchise. It's like when you're watching Pinhead, like blow up cars, <laughs> it's like okay, this is not what was ever interesting about these characters. Were you the one with the guy with the CDs? Or yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a nightmare. It's like drawing something beautiful or making like some incredible painting and then you give it to like your three year old sister and you're like, here you go, do what you will. And it just gets fucking scribbled on with crayons and pastels. Mm. I need to see those movies. I, I've seen the first Hellraiser movie a long time ago, but that was it. Don't first you understand, one... Jeremy? If you finally see Hellraiser, I can stop talking about it on the show and die in peace. I doubt that'll <laughs> make you stop talking about it. You will Valhalla. still talk about it. It's the first Hellraiser movie is yeah. still uh, just a masterpiece. It, it, yeah, absolutely. rewatching it again was an absolute pleasure. You know, I knew there was something I liked about you guys. I wasn't <laughs> sure what it was yet, but <laughs> we've zeroed in on it now. Excellent. We're finding our stride. It's, yeah, I can even yeah. hang with two. I still thought Hellraiser two has some things that Two's are got some great redeemable. moments. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Three done. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll pass. So yeah, one and two. two. I'll watch one and two. Oh, yeah, one and two are absolutely worth seeing. Awesome. Uh, one more thing to mention here. Uh, something that just came to mind is uh, this coming summer, we're going to see the island that uh, is home to all the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park slash world oh, meet its yeah. demise by the volcano that's supposed to be erupting. I mean, come on. How oh, stupid. <laughs> you know, you think they would have been able to see that coming. You get a little geological survey, say like, hey, this volcano's due. They can Maybe bring, let's pick a different fucking island. They can bring dinosaurs back from extinction, but they can't predict the volcano underneath them about to erupt. Serious? Right. I was going to say, that's, that's clearly outside the scientific capabilities of this particular fiction. It's, Boy, am I it's, worried it's about that reasonable movie. reasonable to even consider. <laughs> I, I'm a huge fan of the Jurassic movies. I mean, the first one mainly. Two was okay. Three was not good. World was awesome. <laughs> But this next one, just from what I've seen from the trailer, I mean, if the premise is they've got to go save a raptor that he kind of liked from a volcano <laughs> that's going to blow up, what the fuck? It's so stupid. But uh, hey, I wouldn't worry, Jeremy. I think you can put those worries aside because it's definitely going to be hot garbage. 
You know what? There's no reason to obsess over the future. But that's one of my favorite terms. Hot garbage. Well, look at that. We're, we're just on the same wavelength today. This is going to be a good episode. It's yeah. going to have Jeff Goldblum, though. You can't go wrong with Jeff Goldblum. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, you can't. I, I, I was going to say, I, he, he did a series of Apartments.com commercials that I think they went wrong. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, they went overboard with that shit, didn't they? Yeah, he got super preppy recently. I don't know. Oh, I'm I love sure Jeff I love Goldblum. his look. Yeah. More. <laughs> I love The Fly. Come on, The Fly is fucking awesome. That's such a great movie. It is. It yeah. is. I will. I will run The Fly with you all fucking Everybody day. Everybody loves The Fly. <laughs> yeah. Boy, that sounds like something you need penicillin to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> I love the clap. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Favorite Jeff Goldblum movie, hands down. <laughs> All right, I think that's going to do it for our uh, retro roundtable. That was fun. I think we named uh, quite a few doomed places, right? And I had no idea how doomed Chicago really was. I, I assumed it was a, a big destination for a lot of Hollywood pictures, but mm -hmm. the extent to which. So uh, I feel like I've learned a little something today. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we just meet, must be surprisingly resilient people because we've lived through this entire city getting destroyed several times and I still have the same apartment. So <laughs> there you are in ground zero. I actually don't. I lost a house. <laughs> demolished. Well, I didn't, all of uh, John Hughes movies were done in Chicago, too, weren't they? Uh, around Chicago. Yeah, they were yeah. in Shermer. In and around, yeah, Shermer's a fictional place. Yeah, <laughs> the the, uh, the final shot of uh, Breakfast Club on the uh, uh, football field. Yeah, uh, oh, that was yeah, that was my uh, my high school, Deerfield Shum High School. Oh, uh, awesome. Yep. Did he use that for? Is that or Schomburg High, right? For is that a place? I mean, I mean, I know Schomburg oh, is a place in Breakfast Club, like Sixteen Candles. Uh, weird science. Whenever they had, the... I think he used Nutrier. Nutrier. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for the high school location. But yeah, it was. Uh, there's a lot of like, you know, seemingly uh, apocryphal stories that people have in that area about like, oh, you know, Ferris Bueller. They did this scene here and yeah. that stuff here or whatever. But it's like you never know what's true. But it's, fun it's all. It's all around. Because so, who's gonna fact check? You know. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, the fanatics. Yeah. And then uh, they go find wait. those places, and then the people that currently live there, are like, I don't know, these kids just keep yeah. pulling up in my family. <laughs> For God's sake, leave me alone. Apparently, I live in the weird science house. Yeah. <laughs> my uh, my sister and brother-in-law live uh, in Normal, Illinois, and they recently went and checked out the uh, Home Alone house so it was probably very much the same situation like who are these people in our front yard yeah yep <laughs> so did you have people then at your high school like when you guys are trying to do football games like posing on the field and shit with their fist in the air <laughs> no unfortunately not at least not that i noticed uh i think it, yeah a bit of time had passed between the movie and uh my, my tenure in high school so it wasn't cool at the time yeah exactly i see That's i see true. <laughs> All right, uh, but moving right along, let's just jump right into the comic vault here. Who would like to go first this week? I'll go, because mine's okay. so absurd. <laughs> <laughs> what was it called again? Dinosaur Comics. I love oh, it. That's the title. Okay. I thought you were pitching a genre when you mentioned that. I'm like, yeah, I can get behind that. Oh, I did too. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, same here. I was like, wow, there's a giant hole in my comic knowledge. <laughs> yes, <seriously. laughs> there's not I really a lot of create giant hole. I didn't really read a lot of comics. <laughs> there's not really a lot of creativity. Like most of the panels, it's he uses the same panel layout, and even like the pictures of the dinosaurs, they're all in the same poses. It's just the text that changes. 
and it's really not about anything just this tyrannosaurus just talking shit with a, a velociraptor and that's really it. it's just kind of like seinfeld where is there it's just a good dialogue <laughs> yeah there is wait why are you in this <laughs> but i was a dinosaur <laughs> yeah a lot of dinosaurs it's just like a uh, old dinosaurs it's like the sunday funnies comic where it's just like six panels and that's it so you just pick up one keep reading but i just kept reading kept reading and they're pretty damn funny like there's one that he just out of nowhere he's like presenting the adventures of the man who insists on calling everything every form of water water so he's like wow look at all the water out there now he's looking in a field of snow water as far as you can see now he's discussing ice skating wow did you just see them pull off that triple axle jump switch on that hard water and I, it just keeps going on like that and then there's a the velociraptor just kind of razzes up about the about it the whole time and then it just ends and you're kind of left just laughing at yourself thinking why but i don't know who, i kept going who is their target audience i don't know i have no <laughs> idea this comic for and then i saw ryan north that name sounded familiar and i was like is he on our show and i couldn't find it but he uh he's a writer for uh squirrel girl oh no oh, shit no kidding yeah i guess that explains some of it and the he's comic. got some like, choose your own adventure of Romeo and Juliet or something it's something like that <laughs> that's for another time but. did this have like a connect the dots in it somewhere no nope. no it's got a word find in the back <laughs> and as you put your cursor if you let your cursor hang like just hover over the the panel there's like like a, I don't know the secret words that show up like this one just says the whole world is wholesome now. Sorry, but that's just how it is. You have, you have to have a really wholesome year. Dude, what the fuck? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> you didn't stroke, did you? Are you okay? No. <laughs> yeah, is any of this real? <laughs> okay. I to, I'm, I'm wondering all the same things about who the hell is this for, but I'm also like completely, I don't know, enamored with this at the same time. <laughs> like, it's a weird mix of emotions. Like at this so, point, yeah. he could say anything. Somehow knowing this exists makes the world a better place. I don't know why, but... <laughs> I think half of it is because of the mindset I'm in from watching that movie last night, Chicago Rot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Real snoozer, huh? No, no, no. Oh, anything but, my God. Yeah. All well, right. That's it. Dinosaur Comics by Ryan North. Cool. Wow. All right. I will have to look Start into that list. so I can have some context as to what you were talking about there. Who would like to go next? Uh, I'll go next if you don't mind. Maybe I do. All right, dude. Go ahead. Well, guess what? <laughs> Go ahead. Already happened. I've got the uh, the Meta Barons by I don't I don't know if the correct pronunciation is Alejandro or Alexandro Yodorowski, but uh, he's the writer, and Juan Jimenez is the artist. Whose style? I wish I could describe it, but I am sexually attracted to the way this this comic looks. It's just <laughs> it's the most gorgeous pseudo medieval space opera science fantasy sort of thing and my it's it's one of those comics that throws 100,000 words and phrases at you with each panel. You're just like, "Please hold on. I still don't understand what we're talking about." But mm. like it's magical. So I'm going to give you the cliff notes version because if I had to try if I tried to go like panel by panel with this thing, it'd be a 3-hour special and you just have more questions than answers. But it's called the Meta Barons 
named for a family of cybernetically enhanced warrior space barbarians who um, they've got some unblemished line going all the way back to the first galactic empire and they train exclusively with close combat weapons refusing to pick up any guns and they conquer planet after planet undefeated in combat and it's just kind of like about the family that is this cast of warriors so there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on under the hood but they throw it at you so fast like the comic opens up talking about ah the meta barons yes they live on a planet that's like 99% pure white marble with one fertile valley where the whole family lives and they sell their marble across the galaxy and that's where their fortune comes from and then I shit you not this spaceship flies in and then techno heralds of the techno pope arrived to, to acquire a thousand city blocks worth of marble for their holy temple bank and it's like please pump the brakes i have no idea what's going on this was and, just uh it was written like just post uh him getting turned down for dune right i think so and it, it's like comments, the yeah. influence is there you know, everything yeah. from, like, the desolate planet they're on to this attitude of, like, the very traditional semi-tribal kind of thing. And, God, for the record, I'd give anything to see his Dune, but I guess that's that's yeah. come and gone. Yeah, it's never going to happen. But just what a bummer. Book. You need to publish that book. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, I just want to see the Bible. Then yeah, yeah. <laughs> But like this is this is a pretty close second because like I said the art is gorgeous, it's confusing and dense and there's just tons and tons of interesting history and concepts here that it's so hard to pick apart. But I loved it. If you like, you know what it is. You know it's Conan in space. Yeah. Also, there's someone called the Techno Pope. So if that's not all you need to know to read this thing, I can't help you. And, and the best part is the cliffhanger ending, and this is incredible, is that the main character, who's like the patriarch of the Metabaran clan, suffers a catastrophic laser blast to his pelvis, destroying his hips and groin. He has, right. and I'm not joking, what they call a multi-protonic pelvis installed so that he can make robot love to his wife and sire an heir for their dynasty. Very... <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, that's beautiful. It's... Elvis. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know for sure. This might be the greatest comic ever written. I'll get back to you when I finish the series. <laughs> Damn, well, he sold me. I mean, I'm a yeah. We're both huge, huge Yodorowsky fans. He oh, was, dude, yeah. don't miss it because I was not disappointed. It's just a treat on every page. Awesome, sold. Yeah, it does sound you got good. Their, you got their bat in a thousand right now. Dinosaur comics, <laughs> Yodorowsky comics. I'm, we're I'm two in. for two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's see what you guys got. What about you, Dorian? The first thing that really came to mind for me, just as far as like, I, you know, I've kind of had, I guess, these very kind of specific moments in my life with different mediums where it kind of like, yeah, I've always been a movie fan. And then like I saw Mulholland Drive and it like just blew nice. my mind, like opened me up to like all of the possibilities of like, you know, film is a medium that we haven't explored yet or I haven't seen yet. And it made me, you know, search further and further into like foreign and art films and things like that. And um, you know, so like with video games, I had a similar experience with the first Metal Gear Solid game where, you know, I loved video games already. And then that was like, holy shit, there's so much more to this than, you know, what I gave it credit for. And, um, you know, for comics, I've, I've always been, you know, a fan, not as much of an avid reader as some of my other friends. But um, when I read uh, uh, Grant Morrison's run on Animal Man, 
um, particularly the, uh, the the like fifth issue that he did is this issue called the Coyote Gospel. Um, that, as I understand it, is something of a, a kind of famous issue in, in comic lore and history. Um, but it's this just, you know, he, he, from what I understand, the first like four issues he did, they it, like, uh, they hired him to think this DC Vertigo that, that was doing Animal Man at that point. Um, but uh, yeah, they hired him to sort of like take this just really kind of ridiculous, to be honest, stupid character. <laughs> and try to kind of like reinvent him in an interesting way. And he, he really kind of like, I guess similar again, you know, mentioning again, Christopher Nolan's run on the Batman movies. Like he kind of, you know, did take this approach of like, well, what if we kind of steep this ridiculous thing and like, you know, a bit more reality? Like what, what could we do to really make this kind of a real character that's somewhat believable, you know? And, um, and he kind of did that on these like first four issues of Animal Man, but then like Coyote Gospel is this just, kind of batshit insane issue where he goes like super meta and brings in like Wiley e. Coyote into the mix and it becomes this like Christ illusion. And it really just like, you know, for me, it was another one of these things that like this, uh, it was like watching a person find their voice. Um, it was like, you know, seeing an artist like kind of like work and be really talented and then all of a sudden put out this one piece that is like, holy shit, this is the defining thing for the entire rest of my like life and career. Right. And um, even reading it like much, much further after the fact, like I still was was struck by that impression and immediately became like a, a huge Grant Morrison fan um, from that moment forward. But I mean, it's it's just that right balance of like, you know, just an interesting story, tons of just like what the fuck is going on here? It's got a sense of humor about itself. Like, you know, it's making a, a powerful statement, but also like not taking itself too seriously at the same time. And that makes it feel unpretentious, even though it, it is in a way. And, you know, it just made it, it all just kind of fit together. It was like these elements that didn't seem like they should work together. And he made them dance just in like perfect harmony with each other. Hmm. Animal Man. I feel like I should know what that is, but I, I, I can't think of what it is. What, what, what is Animal Man exactly? Just a guy who can like communicate with animals. Oh, okay. you mean it's... <laughs> oh, well, that's what I was thinking. He's got the tail of a cheetah, Dr. the legs Kilo? of a zebra. Yeah, no, no, no. He's like the lamest character in the world. And uh, Morrison was just able to come up with these like really interesting ways. We're like, you know, using his abilities like to, I, you know, like like talk to like earthworms who can like you know understand like where the movements are on the ground above them so then he can like see where people are moving you know these like mm -hmm. weird ways of turning this lame power into something actually like useful in a superhero situation something <laughs> you'd want to read yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so um because yeah it's you know from what i understand it was like you know it, Graham Morrison was a nobody when he started on these comics, and that was the only reason he got the gigs. They were like, well, it's this shit franchise. What do we have to lose, you know, by giving it to this weird Scotsman? <laughs> and he did something so, great with it. That's awesome. Exactly, yeah. So, it's, you know, it's, it's really worth uh, checking out. I definitely will. I'm on board. All right. Awesome. Let's see what, uh, what do you got there, Brant. Uh, not a lot. I, I really have to confess that I have never really been much of a comic person. Um, as an artist, I've been drawing since I could hold a pencil. So, um, comic books have really only been a minor influence on, like, my drawing style or something like that. But, like, retrospectively, you know, when I was a little kid in the 70s, I read the Kiss comics. Oh, and, shit. Uh, okay. Kinda, graduated into like 
a, a lot of Don Martin, you know, like Mad Magazine type of uh, comics, you know, like stuff like sure. that. Mad Magazine, Cracked, you know, like anything that they would put out a lot of like just straight up Don Martin books that were way thicker than comic books. But it's just like all the art of Don Martin, you know, who's the guy who basically drew for Mad Magazine. Um, I, I took a lot of that stuff and like honed in my drawing that way. Um, but like... I had all my friends were into comic books when I was growing up and I saw them peripherally through them, but it just wasn't my jam, you know, but I, right. I definitely got like, uh, into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at the very, very, very beginning of it. There we go. Um, and a lot of that stuff for me was through reading heavy metal magazine. Yeah. Like I just, I had a subscription to that. So all the stuff that was a little fringe and out there was obviously the stuff I gravitated to more than anything. I just wasn't, I'm not a huge superhero guy. Like, sure. uh, I was when I was a little kid, you know, but, um, it just didn't, it didn't keep going for me, but like n probably not until the early nineties when I was, uh, going to the art Institute in Chicago, right before I got kicked out, uh, getting into the goth phase, you know what I mean? And I got into the crow. <laughs> oh, okay. And yeah. The crow comic book is what, I would have to say is one of those like biggest influences in Chicago rot for me, just because once I started getting into the crow also seeing like a little excerpt of it in heavy metal magazine. And then, you know, talking to my friends, going to the comic book store with them saying, all right, I'm looking for this other thing called the crow, you know, and it's not sure. a superhero, you know, kind of gothy comic book or whatever. Got me into Sandman a little bit for a while. Or is that what the fuck is called? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Neil Gaiman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, like I said, none of it really impacted me as much as, you know, like I've always been the guy who likes to look at the pictures, you know, yeah. and, and as somebody who drew, I started, you know, I got into the crow pretty heavy, started looking at the Sandman stuff, uh, actually briefly read Shadow Man for a little while. It's weird New Orleans, like, uh, <laughs> I don't even know that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not aware of Shadow Man. It isn't really all that worth it. Although, I think that recently <laughs> I saw something that they might be putting that into a, a theatrical thing. I have to look into that. I'm not, don't quote really? me on that. Um, but that definitely, like like I said, getting into The Crow, I got really into it. And then I got really into starting to conceive my own character. Because shortly after that, I just had this idea that I was going to write my own graphic novel. And I started devising a character that was roughly uh my character in chicago rot like more toward the end right uh and then it just developed and changed over the years and became our first feature film <laughs> <laughs> so much more expanded on than you know that i was uh than i was doing as a supposed guy who's gonna put a graphic novel on <laughs> okay that's what i was gonna ask if the graphic novel ever came to fruition but you're saying the graphic novel evolved into the movie yeah, 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 I mean, I, I did a lot of drawing for a while on uh, conceiving, you know, a graphic novel based on a character that is very close to what ended up in Chicago Rot. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, I'd probably end up getting into a band at the same time. And, yeah, yeah, yeah I was in Chicago. Everything was just overstimulated. I, I didn't really uh, follow that through as much that direction it, i mean i guess there was follow-through because there's a feature film on it but yeah. <laughs> uh just yeah it didn't go graphic novel wise i you know somebody's gonna want to smack me in the face for saying this but 
in the comic book world, when all my friends were reading X-Men and stuff like that, I would look at the comics, and I understand now, through hindsight, that they were turning those comic books out, and that's why there were these idealized images, you know, or whatever. But it wasn't until, like, the heavy graphic novel stuff that was more flushed out per cell, you know, that I started getting into anything, because all the big primary colors and just the real idealized pictures just... I don't know, they didn't do much for me. I wanted more. And I always right. wondered why they didn't put more work into everything. I, you know, just young and didn't understand the process. So when when graphic novels came up, it, it perked my eye a lot more, but it also just pushed me more to make more art. Right. I, I can totally get that. And nowadays there are so many more uh, mediums to get into comic book wise other than just superheroes because that's you know that's the main uh, i guess genre that people think of when you think of comics but i know image has done some uh, great work in broadening uh the genres that uh, the comics on the shelves have nowadays uh, i think of it's uh, almost overwhelming you know yeah yeah seriously like Southern Bastards has been one hell of a great book. I strongly recommend that. And that's another thing with the uh, image, like graphic novels, are like 10 bucks. You can't go wrong. But, um, yeah, strongly recommend looking into that. And you mentioned The Crow. We had somebody on the show before who brought uh, The Crow to the this segment. But I, I can't remember who it was, but I think they had a really thick accent or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it was. He had a really Scottish strong accent. Scottish accent. And they kept saying The Crew. The, the Crew. crew. <laughs> so it wasn't until halfway oh, through. had The Crew. It was halfway through <laughs> that we realized, like, oh, shit, he's talking about The Crow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, that's, oh, that's awesome, man. Kiss and the Crow. The, there was still inspiration there. You still found inspiration <laughs> in comics, right? Oh uh, yeah, I was a part of the Kiss Army. I mean, uh, I remember. I mean, we're thinking, we're talking like 1976 here. You know, I was like oh, going yeah. to the laundromat with my mother, and this is like pre-cable TV, pre-cell phones. Like, what are you gonna do to keep this kid busy? You know what I mean? And go to the store, and she'd buy me a couple of Kiss comic books, and I just sit and look at the pictures the whole time. You know, I was such a Kiss fanatic. I'm so envious because uh, I've wanted to read those old comics and I haven't been able to find them. I'm sure if I got down to it and dug around or looked on Amazon, I could find them. But um, there's been so many attempts at redoing the Kiss comic over the years. and They just all look pretty corny. But that original series looks like it would have been pretty fun. Yeah, I I had to like kind of research it myself for a little while when I became an adult because I wasn't even sure if that memory was real. I'm like, Kiss had a comic book, you know? Like, (laughs) they did. They had everything. Yeah. Gene would have his face on a box of tampons if he could. Dude, it's <laughs> yeah. There's no, no woman would want his face <laughs> box of tampons nowadays. Like, talk about some of your idols that you wish would just shut up. Yeah. You know, I. I I have a real hard time, you know, with Kiss anymore because they were my heroes when I was a kid, and I wish they'd just shut their mouths. They're not yeah. aging well; they're just not with the times, and they should just shut up. I believe, uh, I believe yeah. Gene Simmons has been quoted as saying, "Between they, between the Kiss coffins and the Kiss condoms, will get you whether you're coming or going." Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow! What a whore. Yeah. <laughs> There's no getting Something around. He probably had to make to pay for court costs, costs after he was getting sued for beating one of his wives. You know. Oh no, shit! I didn't know that. Yeah, you don't 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 dig into his. Yeah, don't don't research. Man. Yeah, if you like kiss, man. <laughs> don't look under don't the bed on that one. 
I was always an ace guy. I liked ace. Yeah, I met ace. You know, I work at a rock club in Chicago at the Metro. Uh, I've been there like 22 years now. And uh, yeah, in 1995, my first year working there, I met Ace Fraley. And uh, he came down to the club and he looked exactly like he thought he would. Just (laughs) tired and beat down. Yeah. He died like three days ago. You know what I mean? Please help me. And I was just still in awe, like, you're fucking Ace Fraley, man. Oh, I love you. Yeah. He and was, I like, s- the smartest one in the group. He just wanted out. Absolutely. I mean, he, there were, I was, I would agree with Gene on a few things. Like, he should have uh, gotten that guitar strap, like, lightning bolt trademarked and copyrighted. Cause yeah. He could have, you know, lived off that alone if he, you know, if Kiss money dried up. But, um,. Of uh, looking back on all the work that they did together and then independently, you know, they did the, their own albums, but still under the Kiss moniker. Uh, oh, I had him. He, his uh, New York Groove was the best song, one of the best to come out of all that stuff. That and uh, Peter Chris, like Hard Luck Woman and Bad. Yep. I mean, yep. that was some good stuff. That's what caused the, you know, the tumultuousness between all those people is that gene and paul would really get shitty every time the other two would write a great song you know that's that's that curse of like their biggest song is beth yeah i love that song and everyone does song charted higher than any other kiss song and gene simmons and paul stanley will hate him for that forever you know (laughs) yeah well their songs just uh the Pixies, you know, like Kim Deal singing Gigantic, which was their breakout hit, yeah. you know, that those two hate each other to this day because he's the singer of the band and she wrote one fucking song and it's the biggest it's song. The hit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this, they never could write quite a, a catchy song like those other two could. I mean, I'm trying to think of their biggest hits they made. Rock and Roll All Night. That, I mean, yeah, it's Detroit okay. Oh, yeah. Strutter. Strutter. That was the shit. I loved Strutter. I mean, I'm still a fan, you know, Black Diamond. I'll still yeah. <laughs> That's a jam. That does have to chap their ass, though. Man. I wonder yeah, what Peter Chris is doing. Friends. <laughs> All right. That was a tangent from hell. My God. <laughs> we got to keep this show moving. I'm sorry. Yep, yep. Sorry. No, 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 no. I got caught up Sorry, in it. Sorry, that's just our, our KISS intermission. It's I, was, I was fanning the flame that is KISS. Okay. <laughs> KISS or Minish. KISS or Mission. <laughs> you know, Jack, I consciously made the decision not to make that Did joke you? because <laughs> I didn't think it would work. It didn't work and either. I'm vindicated knowing it really does not. <laughs> it, was, right. it, was, it was as poorly conceived of a portmanteau as you thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to get this out really quick because there's not a whole lot to mention. Um, what I'm talking about this week is uh, SheldonComics.com, a little website I stumbled across that has all kinds of different comics that you can just go to and read for free. And uh, I think there were some like actual story comics, like you know, multiple page, but there were also a lot of strip, uh, kind of in the same vein that Jack was talking about. But I, uh, you know, sometimes strips like that don't grab my attention. I'm not 
wanting to just you know stick around for three or four panels. I want to get vested into a story. But this one uh, I immediately was pulled into and just started reading. So I'm just going to describe a few of the uh, comics that I found on that website there, uh, one of which called Star Trek Ships Always Meet Nose to Nose. And it's only a four-panel uh, comic, but it shows the Enterprise coming up on another Enterprise, you know, talking about if they were to have shot the show realistically. You know, they obviously wouldn't meet nose to nose. Like the ones coming up down on the top of the other one, like, uh, you know, how do we see each other? And then there's another panel saying, uh, well, I guess it doesn't really say much of anything. It's just showing a different approach from the Enterprise coming from the bottom. And then it shows another approach of the Enterprise coming up on Klingon ships that are kind of situated all different ways. Doesn't really translate now that I'm sitting here telling you guys about it, but uh, you know what I mean. How even in space in Star Wars and Star Trek, there seems to be a center of gravity. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think Battlestar Galactica and certain mediums took did a very good job in displaying, you know, the uh, third dimension in space there is. But um, I just thought that was funny. And then there's another comic here called Ask Miss Manners, where it shows four people sitting around a table. And it says, today's question, what is the polite response if a guest does not take a sip after clinking their glasses in a cheers? So it shows uh, three of them sipping from their glass after a cheers. One guy by the name of Jerry just sitting there. And it says, A, everyone stand up and move away from the table and back away from the offender. (laughs) And everyone's (laughs) looking at him like he just murdered a child. It says, uh, clear away all plates and glassware and mourn the loss of Jerry. The curse of <laughs> the curse of Logroth has him now, and it just shows him erupting into this big monster. It's, it just it, it spoke to me. I was laughing. It was pretty good. But a couple examples of what you can find there, again, over at SheldonComics.com, and you can find Dave Kellett. He's the creator. Uh, I believe he's the writer and the artist to all these uh, comics on this website at Dave Kellett uh, on Twitter and uh, Instagram, I believe. So there you have it. And with that, let's just turn our full attention right over to Dorian and Brandt and talk about Chicago Rot. I'm very excited to talk about this with you guys. Um, but before we go forward into it, I just want to first uh, concrete out exactly what your guys' roles on the film are. Uh, Dorian, you are the, uh, what, the producer? You are the writer? Uh, I directed the film and uh, am the co-writer. Brandon and I wrote the film together. Okay. And, uh, and then I was also editor. And, you know, it's indie film. We all, you know, have like 15 job titles. But sure. uh, <laughs> primarily co-writer and director. I want to, again, set up for the listeners how I came in contact with these gentlemen. Uh, Brooke and I were at the Horror Hound uh, convention here in Columbus, Ohio, over the summer, or at the end of summer, rather. And I came across these guys that were just radiating. I mean, these guys were all kinds of bright colors, had bright LED lights all coming on them, or off of them, rather. Contacts. You guys were lit. You guys were fucking lit. <laughs> There's no ignoring what these guys look like. And if uh, you're hearing this, I've probably put the picture on social media, so check out our Twitter page or our website to get a glimpse of the picture I did take that day. But it just got me curious and it got us talking about their movie, Chicago Rot. So before I go any further, I feel like you guys ought to tell our listeners uh, about Chicago Rot in your own words. Absolutely. And uh, well, and Brant also uh, want to clarify what you're. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I wore a lot of hats on it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I starred at Les, the main character in mm-hmm. the film. Um, like we talked about earlier, it's a story that I started writing 
a little bit 20 years ago and developed and uh, I went back to film school when I was 35, decided to just change gears and go a different direction art-wise and uh, gave Dorian a short, not very flushed out script of, uh, I guess, the first draft of Chicago Rot and then turned him loose on it and uh you know then i gotta say he developed most of the like i would say that i painted the broad strokes and then he brought in the detail and the grossities (laughs) (laughs) yes and grossities uh, there were what 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 we ended up with is something that we very affectionately refer to as a rock and roll revenge thriller horror sci-fi surrealist clusterfuck of a movie and um, I mean, that, that kind of sums it up. Um, I would you know, say. We, uh, it sums yeah. it up very succinctly. I think. That covers all the bases. I was having trouble, yes. but you just got my back. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, oh, no problem. Um, but so the, uh, you know, the, the film is about uh, a, a man named Les, uh, who, when he was a child, uh, witnessed the murder of his mother and uh, believes that in the process his soul was stolen. And um, he becomes this vigilante character in Chicago trying to get this guy who murdered his mother and sort of like, you know, eliminating the various levels of street trash that, uh, you know, you have to work your way up in order to get to the boss man. Um, And in the course of this, uh, you know, rampage, he ends up murdering a police officer, so we think and um, gets put in prison, and then our movie picks up uh, 10 years later when he is released from prison. He's now sort of like in his 40s and is determined to finish this thing once and for all. So that is the basic setup. Uh, As all of our uh, friends here at Canned Air can can inform any of you, it goes wildly different directions from there. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it's it's there's a saying here in Chicago about the weather that if you don't like it, wait 10 minutes. And uh, our movie, I think, follows the same sort of adage. Um, if you don't like it, wait 10 minutes. Wow. That, that's, uh, that's, yeah, very good description. Not that I had that problem. <laughs> I just, when I, when I sat down to watch the film, I thought, okay, I'm sitting down to watch a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, though, you know, there are very much horror aspects to it, you know, I kept thinking in the back of my mind, seeing the outfits that I, you guys were in at that con, like, how does that fit into this? Where is that going to play into this? And by the end of it, I was like, wow, like so many different things to, to comment on. You know, you um, did you mention music video in your description right there? Because I was going to say it had very strong tones of like either a music video at points or uh, the same kind of feeling you might get from like the old Who movie or a Pink Floyd movie. All, all influences. Yes, it's. Uh, we should also, you know, due to the uh, the kiss tangent we were on earlier, uh, Kiss meets the Phantom was also a movie. Oh yeah! Oh my god! <laughs> I've got that, that on DVD brand, brand around here somewhere. That, and I'm I am grateful to this day for him doing that for me. Um, yeah, they were my superheroes when I was a kid. You know, yeah. I, if I was going to make a movie, I don't know, I wanted to bring it. You know. Yeah. But <laughs> sure. yes, we've 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 certainly you know. Uh, joked uh, uh, many, many times that, you know, this the movie is really sort of like one sung line of dialogue away from being a musical. Um, <laughs> like, if anyone had just with any tonality delivered a line, like, all of a sudden you'd be like, it's a fucking musical. Um, and also that, you know, it, it, in a way, it's also sort of like, you know, like five music videos strung together with, with exposition. Yeah, <laughs> in a sure. way. Um, it's got that, and- like, rock odyssey vibe. You know, yeah, music exactly, is a yeah. really important part of how we told the story. 
Yeah, it's a very much was a, uh, you know, and it was funny because this was something that, you know, on paper uh, at the, the outset of the script writing process was something we knew was important. Brant's got a, a very strong background as a musician. And um, as he mentioned before, he's been uh, uh, worked at the rock club here in Chicago for many years and uh, is very involved with the uh, the local like music scene, rock community. And so we knew a lot of these people and we're going to be working with them on the film. Um, so the music, you know, was, was something that was very present in our minds throughout the entirety of it, uh, even the writing process. And that's really where, um, you know, without giving too much away to the listeners who, who, you know, we don't want to spoil any of the, the myriad of surprises, uh, awaiting them in Chicago rot. But, um, there's a, a character, uh, who, um, just so you guys know, who's playing a piano, uh, that is very much a, a sort of uh, abstract thematic kind of through line to the film. And her presence was very much inspired by how much, you know, we were, we were finding music to be an important, you know, sort of element of the pace and what's really driving the film that a character who in a way bridges that gap for the viewer that, you know, in terms of like the narrative being told has this position, but is also kind of, you know, bridging us into some of the actual music that we're hearing in scenes um, was something that, you know, we were really happy with how it played out, but helped, you know, sort of like get us away a little bit, I think, from that, you know, as I was joking about, you know, music video that's kind of strung together or a series of them that's strung together as we do have like, you know, one or, and some other characters as well that really kind of like start to blur that line between what is sort of like, um, you know, score, so to speak, and what's more like, you know, diegetic, which means like coming from the actual piece itself, like somebody is actually playing this piece of music that's why we're hearing it now versus just score that comes in from some you know omnipotent person and i, I absolutely adored that the fact that you know the music yeah. for the movie I, I i haven't seen that before in any film that i can think of you're seeing the musician in the movie who's providing music for the movie and like you were saying offering that narrative uh, in some manner it's just it was brilliant and one thing that uh, I noticed when I was done with this movie, and this might be kind of out there to say, but uh, I don't know if you, anyone's here has seen the like the uh, Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, I think it was Nicolas Cage adaptation. Oh yes, mm. oh yeah, many, very many good film, very artsy film. And by the end of it, you know, you see the story, but there was there was something more happening with that movie that uh, after you think about it for a few days, kind of dawns on you. And I kind of got that vibe from this movie. You know, I feel like you guys. We're trying to make something open to interpretation. <laughs> Aside from the story you were telling, you were also wanting to leave something open to interpretation by the end of it. Am I correct in assuming that or no? You are absolutely hit the nail right on the head with that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we very, very much uh, wanted to, to, to provide that. I mean, because, uh, you know, for, for both of us, a lot of the movies that were really, really influenced by, you know, over, over a long period of time, you know, that we keep coming back to is like touchstones for like, this is why we make films. This is why we want to, you know, torture ourselves every day of our lives to really <laughs> right. save life. Um, and, you know, most of them do and, you know, uh, involve like, yeah, having this, this heavy element of an open to interpretation ending where it's like, you can watch it like two years later, this movie might seem, mean something completely different to you than it did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the sign of like a, you know, a timeless piece of art, no matter what medium it exists in. And, uh, you know, for us and uh, um, I'm I'm also just a huge film snob. 
uh, like unabashedly so. <laughs> so yeah, like you know, any, anything that provides some, you know, if I can like if I can look at your movie and pinpoint like you know the act one, act two, act three like breaks and like here's your inciting incident, so, you know, I start to get like a little angry, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it's and and sure we you know every medium needs to have those things, uh, but you know I, for me the the deficiency is that there's not enough of the other side getting its due, you know, sort of like play in front of, you know, audiences. And I think in, uh, <clears throat> in general nowadays, like people are a little deterred from making more artistic or open to interpretation type of films because of that. So, right. And, uh, you know, that's, I think the thing I loved most about this movie, and I was trying to find the right way to put it, but over the course of talking to you guys, it totally makes sense. Everything that I enjoyed about this movie, I've been like, oh, wow, that's cool. That's evocative of this, evocative of that. And and talking to you guys and going through saying you were influenced by Mulholland Drive, by The Crow, by the Kiss comics, that's when it all locked into place. I'm like, yes, oh, my God. Now it makes sense. I totally see it, but, like, not in such a way that it makes me think, oh, that's just The Crow. That's just from Kiss. It's just like they, they rhyme. But the differences are enough that it exists in its own unique space, but the influences are clear. And I love that because I feel like and I mean, this is an absolute compliment. At some point, someone must have told you during making this movie like, hey, you can't do that or you, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> and I'm positive you must have said, oh, OK, well, fuck you, because I'm going to go ahead and make this film the way I see it. Yeah. And I no, feel absolutely. like that's what I'm seeing here. Excellent. Well, no, I mean, that, and that is an enormous compliment. I, I really can't thank you enough because, yeah, those those influences were, uh, yes, of course, incredibly important to us. But, uh, yeah, also want to make sure that we were making our own thing and not just, you know, sort of copy pasting what other more talented people had done in the past. So it shows through. Absolutely. I oh, it, no, it almost it, it seems like a trite thing to say to call something original. That's like the go to thing if you want to compliment somebody. But seriously, <laughs> It, this is an original movie if I've ever seen one. That's and and that is honestly the the highest compliment we could ever we could ever ask for. We've, uh, I'm glad we've, you feel that way because I was worried I'd come off like an asshole. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is really. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, that was that was something we were very proud of um, when we were doing our our festival run prior to uh, you know striking a distribution deal, which which is also something we're incredibly thankful for and, and lucky to have gotten. Um, but when we were even going to festivals, you know, where we were seeing other independent filmmakers, other people in the same boat as us who were just like, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, there was no deal to get this movie sold before we made it. We just believed in it, and, you know, put our lives on hold for years to make this happen. And, you know, other people that were in that same boat were even coming up to us after a screening, like, holy shit, this is really, really different, really unique. I've never seen anything like it. And we were That's an just over the moon here, stuff, you know? Because, yes, as, as you pointed out, we did many times, even people on the crew who were 100% <laughs> on board with what we were doing were like, we're not really going to do this, are we? And we're like, well, well yeah, it's an yeah, reason, so. <laughs> I don't, I just, I, I love it because I feel like you guys get this attitude that I've been trying to put into words for a long time where it's like, if something's going to be great, it's got to be weird. It's got to be weird, you know, and I think the surest sign of success is when the people around you are going like, oh, shit, I don't know. Like, if you're making people uncomfortable, you're moving in a new, interesting direction. Well, interestingly enough, I would say that we approach that from the opposite direction of just saying, like, we're weird. 
<laughs> we're not gonna make something that's normal because we're just not that type of people so yeah um it wouldn't be honest coming from us like yeah. I, I don't think we could make that movie you know we don't <laughs> i get really bored making stuff that isn't weird you know and it's i don't know it's just because we're weird yeah so i knew we were gonna make a weird movie yeah. <laughs> but it's that, nice to have something that's not weird yeah and that and, and i should say too that that you know the the intentional sort of ambiguity of certain things in the movie of you know leaving those open to your interpretation or again it wasn't a that wasn't like a superficial thing that we just said like oh let's make it inconclusive and let people come to their own conclusion it was more like that's sort of something i don't know ambiguity and sort of like uh, contradiction and you know not being able to have everything tied up in a nice perfect little bow is just sort of how we I don't know understand how you we interact like, with the world yeah, yeah like yeah it's more realistic movies, you know, that yeah exactly that that really provide this like you know sort of concrete conclusiveness to like everything that's going on it's like I mean when has that ever happened in your life you know and that's such and a perfect like Lynchian philosophy it's like yeah. life's confusing movies <laughs> should be too and I fucking love that and he is, and he is my my hero. Um, if if you want to go on a two hour long tangent, <laughs> talk about Twin Peaks: The Return for I. Oh, I we we got to have you back on to talk Hellraiser and Twin Peaks. This, I'm oh. calling it right now. Sequel. I am counting. Yeah, you're singing my boy's songs here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. One thing I've got to know, and uh, aside from you know the piano music we spoke of earlier, there's also some pretty kick ass uh, metal music in this movie is there a soundtrack please say there's a soundtrack uh there is it's coming stay tuned uh, yeah <laughs> being that we are broke independent filmmakers uh you know obviously we're financing all of that and uh we are in the studio right now we have remixed all the score and uh it's about to be mastered so, so it'll be probably within the next month or two i'm assuming well, please keep your boys over here at Canned Air in mind when it does come out. But yeah. uh, the score, it's, it's all original then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, That's actually uh, another one of Brant's major roles on the film is uh, Brant wrote the score uh, oh, for the movie. I love it. Um, we, it was really interesting, actually. We, um, As I mentioned before, you know, with, with Brant's uh, long history at the, the Rock Club here in Chicago Metro, um, we, before we started shooting, had actually music licensed from a whole bunch of local bands that were like totally into what we were doing. We were like, this is great. You know, the whole purpose of this movie was for us to, you know, highlight Chicago, highlight Chicago artists. There's this right. just like giant table of like musicians, actors, you know, behind the camera people, artists that like we just feel don't get their just desserts because, you know, we're not on the coasts. And um, I, I think that's partially why Chicago keeps getting destroyed so many times by, you know, major <laughs> motion pictures. <laughs> it's just them constantly reaffirming, like, no, fuck you. We, we're, we're better than you. Um, we come to your town and destroy it, not ours. But, um, <laughs> not my back. <laughs> but, uh, but so, um, you know, we, we had all these uh, 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 bands that were lined up that, um, you know, we were like, this is another great just way of showcasing Chicago talent that's just not being, you know, properly uh, showcased. And, uh, unfortunately, when we, you know, we shot the movie and we were, you know, going through the editing process and Brand started putting all this music that we had licensed into the film. And I came over uh, to our workshop one day to, to watch it through it with him and, you know, do spotting notes and everything. And the second it ended, we both just looked at each other and Brand had this like, you know, he already knew because he'd been doing this. He's like, so what do you think? And I was like, well, wow, this doesn't work at all. 
Like, like a John Hughes movie. It, it was just a bunch, you know, it's just a bunch of like music just sitting on top of scenes and they just, they had nothing to do with each other. And, um, you know, it just, it wasn't one of those things that's like, oh, we just need to recut the scenes to like match the pace. Cause again, that would have really just turned it into a music video then if we were just like, oh, just cut on the beats, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, it was, Brandt had, however, written some small sort of like uh, sections of like incidental music to fill in some of the gaps where we didn't have songs, you know, already chosen. And that stuff was working beautifully. Um, so, you know, then the conversation immediately became, well, do you want to score the movie? <laughs> and, um, you know, it was one of those like, yeah, obviously a big undertaking, but it was this really kind of like beautiful conclusion to the whole collaborative process between us of this film because like you know we wrote the movie together brant acted the entire film being the lead character and then writing the score for it was really just he was obviously through writing and acting it very in tune with all of the subtext and emotion and everything that was going on in the movie and seeing that music was another language that he could speak for him to translate all those things he already knew into music for the film it just all came together just perfectly Every yeah, part of it, fight, you know, obviously I'm glad that I did it, but I remember that conversation that day. <laughs> I don't think he asked me. <laughs> he said, you realize you have to score this film now. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Okay. But like, I swear sometimes timing is the best thing. And I think we were going into winter again and yeah. I had, um, left my apartment and was actually living in this shop because we were broke and I couldn't afford both and we needed the shop more than we needed my apartment. And I remember just thinking like, I just moved into here. I have my bed up in the crawl space. Yeah, I'm gonna just hole up for the winter and write the score to this movie. And I, I gotta also say just for, you know, musician's sake, I did not write the entire score. I arranged the music i have a lot of knowledge with like computer recording synthesizers drum machines stuff like that i'm not a great musician but i know great musicians and have played in the band for years with uh different people joe scott scott conway um jim kimball so you know i i knew that i didn't have to write everything i had to again paint a broad stroke and then bring people in and say all right you know, it kind of sounds like this. Now you write the guitar part, you write the drums. And and uh, we all work really well together and it just came together really well. But that was a lot of songs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Well, I'm stoked to hear a soundtrack. I cannot wait. So am I. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what we've heard already is, is really, really outstanding. Even, even for us, who have obviously heard all this music a million <laughs> times. Sure. Still uh, listen to what what our sound guy and uh, Brand came back from the studio with, and we're all like floored by it. So, um, I will I'll also mention real real quick that uh, the opening credit song with this uh, mysterious piano playing character that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rachel uh, Rachel Williams. She um, I I wrote the lyrics to that song and wow. gave them to Rachel, and she wrote the piano and sang. You know, she performed that whole song. Uh, all those shots of her playing piano on the back of the truck, like that's all that's all her actually playing and singing the, the entire piece. In 20 uh, degree weather. Yeah, actually strapped back <laughs> oh, the truck. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeez. Um, chain. Yes, yes. Uh, chain is, is correct, actually. <laughs> um, Are you talking 20 yeah. degrees with the wind chill of the truck or just 20 degrees? I think it was like 35 yeah. and then it was more like 15 yeah. driving oh, 45. Oh, oh. 
on Lakeford Drive. That so. was a real tough day for her. Yeah. I can but imagine. Wow. He kicked ass. All we supplied her with was the lyrics, and then we met up with her like a couple weeks later, and she had written the entire piano part. She had worked out the entire vocal arrangement, how she wanted to sing it and everything. So, you know, she really wrote that piece of music. That's awesome. Everyone has their uh, hands in there. Everyone's everyone's contribution. I love that. For our listeners at home who are wanting to check out Chicago Rot, where's probably the best place to find it? I mean, I know I found it on iTunes, like Google Play. I found uh, also on, what was it, like, is it on Netflix? No, we are uh, we are not on Netflix, unfortunately. No. Um, we could go into the whole yeah economics of releasing your film and why that is, but uh, <laughs> right. Um, uh, however, we are on all of the major like pay-per-view VOD services. Uh, so yes, as you mentioned, iTunes. Uh, we're on Amazon. Uh, we're on Vudu. We're on Xbox Live Marketplace. Uh, we're on. We're even on Steam. Actually, I actually watched it on Steam. Yeah. Awesome! Fuck yes! I that makes me so happy. <laughs> I, I was the one who was like hassling our distributor about like we got to get on Steam. This is going to be a thing, and that was really just because I, you know, I'm a gamer also, and I just wanted to own our movie in Steam. So, dude, um, I was so down with that when I saw the email with the link. I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, iTunes, iTunes. Oh, it's on Steam, and I just like <laughs> jumped right for that one. That's awesome. But I was if, all excited that I could say it into my remote at home on Xfinity, and I was like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a cool feeling, I bet. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. Um, But if you you go to chicagorot.com, our website, um, we have uh, the trailer is right on the front, uh, right on the landing page, so you can watch that um, immediately. And then right below, we have listed every VOD service where the movie is available. And even better... You can click on any one of those and it will take you directly to our movie on that specific platform. So we've tried That's to make nice. it easy for you to it's give us seamless process. <laughs> yeah, right. That's awesome. Well, we're also going to put uh, links on our website to directing people that way. We might even be able to put the trailer up, right, Jack? Uh, I should be able to, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, we'll do what we can to drive people your way uh, and strongly recommend checking it out because it's a movie like you've uh, never seen, a movie like I've never seen, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> but uh, Dorian Brandt, thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, we'll have to get you guys back on in the future. Oh, anytime, man. This was a pleasure. Yeah. Jack, what do we have on the website, sir? Go to cannedairpodcast.com where you can see show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media uh, click our merch button and buy some merch. Check out some of our special guests. Become a patron. And if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. And once more, that is at CandairPod on Twitter and at Canned underscore Air on Instagram. Check us out. We've got jokes, links, all types of things for your entertainment pleasure. There it is. And Dorian Brandt, next time you guys make a movie and you guys need some uh, people in the background... Look no farther than your friends over here at Candare. I, I live every day. Really quick, what, that's what we did the first time around. <laughs> we started just blasting it out on social media. We're shooting here today. Whoever wants to be in it, show up. Oh, hey, if hey. you need somebody to be eaten by a ghoul, I'm your man. It's, it's <laughs> always possible. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I'm Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. I'm Dorian Weinzimmer. And I'm Brant McRae. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a few more hours And I'll be right home to you I think I hear them calling Oh, Beth, what can I do? 
I'm bored. I wish we were buzzed. Let's drink Daddy's cough syrup. This is where he keeps the good stuff. You don't need drugs to get high. Talk! You just need the Canned Air Podcast. That's good advice. Now we know. And no one is half the battle. Just one question. What are you doing outside the window? <laughs> Tell your mama to call me. G.I. Joe! Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.